Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. How many have been enjoying this series that we've been in on For the One? Come on, it's so good. For the one is this idea that Jesus didn't just come for the 99 that have already been saved, the 99 that have already been reached. He didn't just come for us. He also came for the one. He also came for the person that doesn't yet know him. He comes for the person that is outcast. He comes for the person that is downtrodden. He comes for the person that is far from him. And it's been such a great reminder over the last few weeks that we cannot keep what we know here. We cannot keep this experience here. We have to take the presence of God with us where we go so that others can also experience and encounter God. And I've been loving this reminder that he didn't just come for us. He didn't just come for Cornerstone Church. He came for all people, that his spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And so today we're continuing in this series that we're in for the one and uh, we're going to be using some scripture from Luke chapter 19. If you grew up in church, then you are well familiar with this portion of scripture. Luke chapter 19 is the story of when Jesus finds Zacchaeus in a tree. You might be familiar with it. What's interesting about this scripture is that it is incredibly famous when it comes to stories of the New Testament, but it's only recorded in the book of Luke. It's only Luke that talks about it, and it's only short. It's only like 10 verses of Scripture. But for some reason, there was something that happened in this moment that Luke felt like it was important enough to tell us all about it. And this is the week before Jesus goes to the cross. As we're leading up towards Easter, this is one of the last things that Jesus did before he went to the cross, and Luke felt like it was important enough to record it for our benefit. So like I said, it's only short, it's only 10 verses. We're gonna read the whole thing. If you would stand on your feet as we read this today, um, that would be great. It's only short, just like Zacchaeus was. Um, every preacher needs a good Zacchaeus being short joke. So I'm reading from the ESV. It says this in verse number one. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking, someone say seeking. seeking, seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. There it is. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and received him joyfully. And when the crowd saw it, they all celebrated that we have a Jesus that is so near the brokenhearted. They celebrated that we have a compassionate Savior. They celebrated that we... So no, they didn't. What did they do? They grumbled. They murmured. They did what church folk too often do when someone else gets blessed in our place. They, they murmured. They said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I love the way the message says it. It says, he has, uh, he has been getting cozy with a crook. 
Jesus has been getting cozy with a crook, and Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now I said that he has come to seek and to save the lost. You must not have heard me. I said he has come to seek and to save the lost. That's a good place to shout right there, that he has come to seek and to save the lost. I get excited about verses like that, that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. That means people like you and people like me. He has come to seek and to save you. Who is Jesus? He is a seeker and he is a savior. He has come to seek you and come to save you. I know that, I know that he's your friend, but he's more than a friend. He's a seeker and he's a savior. I know that he was a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. He's a seeker and he's a savior. I know that he's a good role model, but he's more than a good role model because he's a seeker and he's a savior. Come on, how many are thankful that he is a seeker and he is a savior? That's who Jesus is. I dare you to tell four people nearest you and tell them we're about to get cozy with a crook today. Tell them we're getting cozy with a crook. Put in the chat today, we're getting cozy with a crook. Get comfortable. Get comfortable. We're getting cozy with a crook. You can grab your seats when you've found your fourth person. You've told them we're getting cozy with a crook today. Jesus, help me. In our text, it starts with the fact that Jesus is arriving into Jericho and he is on his way towards Jerusalem. What is interesting about this portion of Scripture is that it reminds me of another part of Scripture that we read about in the Old Testament when the people of God also arrived at Jericho and were trying to pass through on their way to the Promised Land. And you might have read this portion of Scripture before. We read about it in the book of Joshua when Joshua was leading the Israelites towards Jericho, and we know what happened there. It's interesting the parallels that take place between this story in the Old Testament and what we read about when Jesus entered into Jericho. We see that there's a crowd of people that have arrived at Jericho with the intention of passing right on through. It's also interesting that we read about two people that are the exceptions in both stories. We read about Rahab, who is in Jericho, and salvation comes to her entire house because of what God does in her and through her. We also read about how salvation comes to the house of Zacchaeus because of what God does in him and through him. And both of these characters are less than upright citizens. Both of these characters are unholy. They're living lives that they should not be living. We know that Rahab is a prostitute and we know that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Zacchaeus is all kinds of jacked up. Zacchaeus, he is a tax collector, which means that he was taking money from his own people. If you don't know this, then what we know about what was taking on in this time, what was taking place in this time with Jesus is that the Roman Empire was occupying lands all over the world at that time, including the land of Israel. 
And so the Israelite people, the Jewish people, they were being occupied by the Romans, and part of the way that they funded their Roman empire was through the work of tax collectors. And these were people that were Jewish, that were taxing their own people on behalf of the Roman Empire. So it's not like the IRS agent that's doing their job that's taxing you. This is a person who was a part of the Jewish community that was now taxing their own people for the benefit of their occupier, their oppressor. And so the Jewish people, they didn't like tax collectors. The Jewish people, they didn't like Zacchaeus, but also in addition to that, the Roman people didn't like tax collectors either because they were Jewish. They tolerated them because they were a part of funding the empire, but the Jewish people, they didn't like the tax collectors. The Roman people, they didn't like tax collectors. So nobody likes Zacchaeus. He is the lowest of the low. He is an outcast. He is rejected. There is some kind of way that blind people were able to get to Jesus, but he couldn't. Zacchaeus couldn't get to Jesus. There is some kind of way that the woman with the issue of blood, she was able to push through the crowd and get to Jesus, but Zacchaeus couldn't. And I don't believe that it just had to do with the fact that he was short while he was short. I believe that there was something about the people, something about the crowd that refused to let Zacchaeus get to Jesus. He was small in stature, but the crowd resisted. They didn't make it possible for Zacchaeus to be able to get to Jesus. What I love about this is that Zacchaeus is still seeking Jesus. In spite of it all, in spite of the barriers that he finds around him, he is still seeking Jesus. And the good news for us today is that we can also still seek Jesus. The, the crowd thought that they had the ability to choose who was able to get to Jesus, but they didn't. And you might feel today like you get to choose who gets to seek Jesus, but you don't. You might like to think that you get to choose who comes to church on a Sunday morning, but you don't. You don't get to pick or choose who seeks Jesus. We all get to seek Jesus. We all get to pursue after Jesus. That's not for us to choose. That's not for us to decide. And, and what I cannot wait for is when I get to heaven and I look around heaven and I see all kinds of people that I thought would never make it to heaven. I can't wait. I can't wait to get to heaven and be like, that person? Jesus, you let that person into heaven? Don't you know what that person did to me? Don't you know the way that that person lied about me? Don't you know that that person stole from me? Don't you know that that person's a crook? Jesus, you have to know. And you let them in anyway. And I'm up here trying to, I, I've learned now to, to try and lower the bar as much as possible for people to get into heaven. Because if that person gets into heaven, if soul gets into heaven, then I've got a better chance of getting into heaven myself. So I'm up here trying to lower the bar as much as possible. Some people are trying to keep people out of heaven. I'm trying to get as many people into heaven as possible. Because if you get into heaven and you get into heaven, then I've got a better chance of getting into heaven myself. That's good news right there that we can all seek Jesus. What's interesting is that while we can all seek Jesus, not all of us do seek Jesus. So why don't we? 
It's interesting that right before Jesus enters into Jericho, there's a portion of scripture that takes place in the chapter before where we learn about someone who is blind and on the side of the road. And he wants to be healed. And so he calls out to Jesus and Jesus heals him. What is his name? We know his name. Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. He is blind Bartimaeus. Isn't it a frustrating thing to be known by the issue that takes place in your life? He is blind Bartimaeus. Isn't it a frustrating thing to be identified with the issue that takes place in your life? We know the woman with the issue of blood, she's not known by her name, she's known by her problem. Isn't it a terrible thing to be known by the worst part of your life? Legion. Legion isn't even given a name. Legion is known by the demons that occupy him. He isn't given a name, he's known by the demons. And in the same way, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Zacchaeus is known by the fact that he is just a wee little man. Zacchaeus has a height problem, but when he encounters Jesus, he doesn't have a heart problem. He has a height problem. He doesn't have a heart problem. See, what takes place is an internal transformation on the inside of Zacchaeus so that he has now got the character that is going to carry him through this season, but the external problem is trying to cause resistance from him encountering Jesus. He has an external problem. He doesn't have an internal problem anymore. And I believe that there are people here today that have an external problem. You have external resistance. You have external problems that are trying to stop you from encountering Jesus, that are trying to stop you from getting into healthy community. You've got external problems, but you've got the internal fortitude and you've got the internal character that's going to get you through this season. You might have the person at work that keeps on taking credit for the work that you do. You've got an external problem, but you've got the internal character that's gonna get you through this season. Maybe you have a father that doesn't speak to you the way that they should speak to you. You've got an external problem, but you've got the internal character that's gonna get you through this season. Maybe you've got kids that won't talk to you. Maybe you're trying to juggle school and work and sick kids and social life, and church life, and you're trying to juggle all of these different external things, but I believe that you have the character, and you have the fortitude, and you have the stamina, and you have the endurance to carry you through this season. See, we, um, Zacchaeus, he couldn't control his height, but he could control his heart. You cannot control your height, but you can control your heart. And we are all small in different ways. I know that we learn about Zacchaeus being small in stature, but we are all small in different ways and at different seasons. I know there, there are some people that are wicked smart. There are some people that have an incredibly high IQ, but when it comes to your EQ, dumb as a brick. Like you have all of the intelligence, all of the brains, but you cannot see someone in pain. You have no empathy that moves towards people. You have all of the smarts in the book, but you have no street smarts. There are people that, have, that give their best in the place of work. You're a lion in the office, but you're a mouse when you get home. 
You are present in the boardroom. You are a leader at the factory, but then you are absent from your family. You give your best when you're at work and you give your worst when you are at home. You're big in one situation and you're small in another situation. We all have different external influences. We all feel small at different times. And uh, your smallness is often rooted in insecurity. Your smallness is often rooted in comparison. I remember a few, few months ago, some of us got together and we went up to a Detroit Pistons game to go watch the first game of the season and watch the basketball up in Detroit. And, um, and I've been getting into basketball quite a lot over the last few years. Some of it is because we have a son who loves playing basketball. So now I, I have a basketball ring in our driveway where our seven-year-old seven and I love to go out and, and shoot hoops and play basketball together. And I have this hoop that's set to seven feet high, right? Because that is the height that my seven-year-old can reach his shot and sink the, sink the ball. It's also a good height for me to be able to shoot the ball and on a regular basis sink my shot. I can dunk at seven feet high. It makes me feel big, right? It makes me feel like, like why do I watch these people in the games and they're missing their shots all the time. Why do, I, why do I watch these people when they can't land their dunk, right? So then we go to this Pistons game and we have these special tickets that allow us to go out onto the court after the game. You see where I'm going with this. And I realize, I become acutely aware of the fact that the hoop in an NBA court is not set to seven feet high. It is set to 10 feet high, 10 feet high. And I walk down, and we are allowed to take a free throw shot right here after the game, right? And so I look up at this ring, and I think, I don't even think that I can throw the ball that high. And there are jokers that are able to dunk the ball at 10 feet high. And so I take my shot, and the ball doesn't go anywhere near the ring. And there are people around, and it's embarrassing. And I realized that at my home court, on my driveway, when the hoop's seven feet high, I realized that I feel big. And then I get to the Pistons' home court, and I feel small all of a sudden. I have never felt so small in my life than when I realized how tall 10 feet is. Sometimes there are other people that can make you feel small. And sometimes you make yourself feel small. But too often in life, we go through step by step and we are surrounded by barriers that prevent us from taking our next step. Barriers preventing us from taking our next step. Meredith talked about some of these barriers a few weeks ago. We know about our physical barriers that prevent us from taking our next step. We know about our mental barriers that prevent us from taking next steps. We know about our social barriers that prevent us from taking next steps, from seeking our breakthrough, from finding Jesus. We have barriers. Sometimes these are external barriers. Sometimes these are internal barriers. And when it comes to Zacchaeus, he has the trifecta. Zacchaeus has a physical barrier, a group of people, a crowd of people that are preventing him from being able to encounter Jesus. 
not only encountering Jesus, but seeking Jesus. He has a physical barrier. He also has a mental barrier because he's short. And he struggles with the idea that I'm short and I cannot reach Jesus. In addition to that, Zacchaeus also has a social barrier because he's a tax collector. He has all three different kinds of barriers. And I know that you have a crowd. I know that you have a crowd that's trying to stop you from getting to Jesus. But so did Zacchaeus. And I know that you have issues in your life. But so did blind Bartimaeus. And what we read about in the chapter before this one is that blind Bartimaeus is sitting by the roadside and he calls out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when he's trying to get Jesus's attention and then the crowd of people, they have the nerve to tell him to be quiet. They say, shh, don't bother Jesus. And he says even louder, Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to be healed. I want to see. I don't know what kind of person you have to be to look at someone who is blind and tell them to be quiet because they want to be healed. But it made him shout even louder. He had all kinds of barriers, but he overcame the barriers that had been preventing him from getting to Jesus. Even Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had all these different barriers that were preventing him from getting to Jesus. And so what did he do? He ran. Zacchaeus ran. And then Zacchaeus climbed a tree. And and I don't know the last time that you climbed a tree. But I, I stopped climbing trees when I was 30. I don't climb trees no more. And this is like, this is true in the United States that typically climbing a tree is something that young children do. Adults don't climb trees. It's undignified for adults to climb trees now. Even more so in Jewish culture did grown Jewish men not climb trees. Jewish men did not run. Jewish men did not climb trees. And here goes Zacchaeus, surrounded by barriers, refusing to allow those barriers to prevent him from getting to Jesus. And so Zacchaeus ran as quickly as he could, and he climbed that tree as quickly as he could so that he could get to Jesus. It was undignified for him to do that. It reminds me of what King David did when the ark returned to Jerusalem. And he's excited about it. King David starts dancing because that ark has come back into Jerusalem. He's dancing so hard that his clothes begin to fall off. And his wife looks at him and his wife says, you shouldn't be doing that. That's undignified for you to do that. And he says, even more undignified I will become because you don't understand the significance of what God is doing in this moment. And I just wonder if the fact that you haven't received your breakthrough yet is because you're trying to be too cute. I wonder if you haven't received your breakthrough because you're more focused on your reputation. I wonder if you haven't received your breakthrough yet because you're more focused on the crowd, because you're more focused on trying to make yourself look like you have everything together. And if you would just get yourself undignified for a moment, if you would experience what God has for you in this season, if you would turn your back on the crowd and say, God, it doesn't matter what people are going to say about me. It doesn't matter what people think about me. I'm going to 
to be undignified in the house. I'm going to be undignified as I seek after Jesus. I wonder if you would get a little bit sweaty. I wonder if you would sing in church. I wonder if you would experience God in a whole new way because you are seeking after him and not focused on the crowd. Come on. Come on. What if your breakthrough was attached to it? Would you be willing to get just a little bit undignified? if you would focus more on Jesus than on the crowd. Just because you have a crowd doesn't mean you have an excuse. Just because you have a crowd doesn't mean you have an excuse. Zacchaeus had a crowd, but he didn't have an excuse. Bartimaeus was blind, but he didn't have an excuse. The woman with the issue of blood She for real had an excuse, but she didn't make it her excuse. She didn't become her excuse. She didn't allow victim mentality to creep in. The the worse her situation got, the deeper her desperation got. She didn't become her excuse. And it's our role as Christians to overcome the barriers that are around us that are preventing us from getting to Jesus. That's part of our role as being a Christian is to overcome the barrier, to have some tenacity, to have some determination, to have some endurance that says, I don't care what comes against me. I don't care what kind of enemy comes against me. I'm gonna overcome every barrier that is preventing me from getting to Jesus. That's what our calling is, is to seek after Jesus. The other side of that is not just to remove barriers in our own life that are preventing us from getting to Jesus. The other role is also to prevent barriers that are stopping other people from getting to Jesus. And um, it's easy to do this in theory. It's difficult to do this in reality. Because in theory, we like the idea of grace. But in practicality, we don't necessarily like it when other people are the recipients of grace. We want grace, but we don't really like it when other people get grace. Like in the story of the prodigal son, we like to believe that we would welcome the prodigal son back home. But in reality, we're like the older brother that is upset that the younger brother already received his inheritance and is now being received back home with a feast. Too often we're like that older brother or like this other story that Jesus told when there was many different workers and the employer went to some workers and he said, hey, if you come and work for me, I'll give you this much money. And you make that agreement and then he goes to some other people later in the day and he says, hey, if you come and work for me, then I'll give you this much money. And then they make that agreement and then there's some other people that come at the end of the day and he says, hey, if you come work for me for a few hours, I'll give you this much money. And then what happens at the end of the day is when everybody comes to get paid, he starts with the last person and he says, hey, I know that you only worked for a few hours, but I'm going to give you a denarii. I'm going to give you an entire day's wage. And then the person down here that has been working for an entire day, that person starts thinking, well, if this person is getting a whole day's wage, then maybe this employer is extra generous, and so I'm going to get all kinds of extra money now. Surely this is is my inheritance now. Surely this is what's getting ready to take place for me. And then I get paid what I was originally promised to get paid. I get paid exactly the same as what that person gets paid. 
And we like the idea that we celebrate when other people are the recipients of grace. But in reality, we don't often like to celebrate grace for other people. And this one is, this one's tough for me because, because I'm more like justice-minded. Meredith is more grace-minded. And we have been realizing this over the course of our relationship as we have more and more conversations. I remember distinctly a conversation that we had one time when we were driving in the car. We were driving up to Toronto. This is early in our relationship. We're driving in the car and I'm going the speed limit or like 10% over the speed limit because that's what you're allowed to go. At least that's what I was taught is that everybody is allowed. You're not going to get a ticket if you go 10% over the speed limit. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what I was told. So if like the speed limit's 70, then you're allowed to go 77 miles per hour before you get a ticket. Somebody told me that, and I have just lodged that in my brain as like, that's true. It may not be true. It probably isn't true, but that's how I live my life. And don't judge me for it, Meredith. So I have my cruise control set at 10% over the speed limit. And this car comes flying by us on the highway. I'm talking like not at 80 miles an hour, but probably at over 100 miles an hour comes flying by me. And I just start feeling mad about it. I start feeling like stirred up inside. And I just start fuming about this situation to myself. I was talking to myself about how dare they go this fast. Don't they know the rule is that you're only allowed to go 10% over the speed limit? Who, told that? Who taught this person how to? That is unsafe for this person. I, I want to go fast as well, but I'm not going fast. And I realize that I start wanting bad things to happen to this person. I start telling Meredith, I want this person to get a ticket. Now, I don't just want this person to get a ticket. I want this person to lose their license. I don't even just want them to lose their license. I want this person to lose their car as well. Their car got, I don't even just want this person, I want them to have an accident. I want this person to have an accident on the highway and now they crash their car. They can't drive their nice fast car no more. And I realize as I am saying this that I have become unraveled. <laughs> that this, I have gone to a dark place very quickly as Meredith and I are having this conversation. What I realize is that it was not that I was mad at that person. In reality, I was just jealous that that person was doing something that I, in fact, wanted to do. So I was upset about the fact that that person was getting away with something that I wanted for myself. I was being just. I was following the rules. That person was getting away with what I really actually wanted to do. Can I go a little deeper? So how would you feel if, like, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, like one of the most wealthy people in the world, how would you feel if one of those people won the lottery tonight? How would you feel about it? You would be upset. Come on, don't, don't leave me up here like I'm the only person that would be upset about that. Because you would be like, how dare Elon want to win another billion dollars on top of his hundred billion dollars that he already has? He's just gonna buy himself another rocket. He's gonna buy himself a seventh house, right? I don't mind if the single mother has her breakthrough. I don't mind if the orphan or the widow receives a blessing because they deserve it, because they're worthy of it. 
But those wealthy people, I don't want them to be blessed. I don't want someone to be generous towards people that are already blessed because they don't, they don't deserve it. They don't need it. And when you begin to be the person that is in control of God's blessing, that's a dangerous place to be in. Because it, it takes you to a dangerous place because you start thinking, well, well, God, don't heal that person. Heal this person instead. I realized that because we had like seven hours in the car that day. And so Meredith had a long time to help me unpack that dysfunction that I had. <laughs> I realized that a lot of that belief was from the fact that I had somehow started to see God as a limited God. Like God only had this much blessing that he could give to people. God only had this much healing that he could give to people. God only had this much time, this many resources that he could give to people. So I was like, God, don't heal that person because if you heal that person, then this person is gonna miss out. God, don't bless this person, because if you bless, bless this person, then this person's going to miss out. Because I had a limited mentality of who God was. And the dangerous thing about that is then you start thinking about who deserves it and who doesn't deserve it. God, don't, God, don't heal that person of their diabetes, because they deserve to be sick. They did that to themselves. This is a consequence of the actions that they have. If you heal that person, then you're not going to be able to heal this person that deserves the healing because this person is a good person. This person followed all kinds of right behaviors. This person has been healthy in how they've been living. Don't heal that person because then this person's going to miss out. Don't heal this person of their lung cancer because they've been smoking for the last 40. God, they deserve that. Don't heal that person. Heal this person, because this, this is a good person. This person deserves it. This person deserves financial breakthrough. This person deserves it. This person doesn't deserve it. Come on, don't make it like I'm the only person that's ever done this before. Because this is, in reality, this is precisely why the crowd grumbled. This is why the crowd murmured. Jesus, don't go to his house. Don't go to his house. You don't know what he's done. You don't know that he's stolen from my family. He's a, he's a thief. He's a crook. Don't go get cozy with the crook. You, you must not know about what he has done to me and to my family. Jesus, come to my house. Come to my house. I'm, I'm the kind of person that you really should be spending time with. Come to my house. I'm the kind of person that shows up to church every week. Come to my house. Bless me. I'm, I'm the kind of person that prays even when I'm not at church. Come to my house. Bless me. Je Jesus, I'm the one that, that posts about scriptures from the Bible at least once a month. I'm sanctified on my social media. Jesus, come to my house. Jesus, Jesus I tithe. I deserve your blessing. Come to my house. Don't go see him. Don't go bless him. I deserve your blessing. 
You see how dangerous that place is where you begin to think that you are in God's place, that you are the arbiter of all of God's goodness, where you get to decide who wins and who loses, where you begin to think the arrogance that you deserve God's blessing. Newsflash, there is nothing that you can do that, would, that deserves you to receive God's blessing. Nothing. There is nothing that you can do that would cause God's goodness to be poured upon you other than the fact that Jesus has looked in your direction. There is nothing that you could you there is nothing nothing so good that you can do. You cannot earn yourself into being a son or a daughter of God. It is only because you are calling upon Jesus saying Jesus, I need you to do what I could not do for myself. I need you to sacrifice yourself because there is no sacrifice that I could make that would be good enough. I need you to rip the veil from the top to the bottom, to cause heaven to enter earth. I need you to do what only you could do. There is nothing that you can do that would cause yourself to be worthy, that would cause yourself to be honest enough or good enough for God's goodness. Nothing that you could do. It's solely the fact that he qualifies you. He qualifies those that are unqualified. He qualifies you. And you might not know this about sycamore trees, because we don't, we don't got a lot of sycamore trees around these parts. They ain't from around here. But if you've ever seen a sycamore tree before, you know that these are big trees with low branches. Big trees with low branches. This was exactly the kind of tree that Zacchaeus needed to be able to reach Jesus. Big tree, low branches. He couldn't reach Jesus by himself. Nobody was helping him. Matter of fact, people were preventing him from being able to get to Jesus. He couldn't have used a big tree with high branches. He couldn't have used a little tree. He needed a big tree with low branches. And it took someone planting a sycamore fig tree all those years before that would grow up to be a big tree with little branches. It would be the exact kind of vehicle that Zacchaeus needed to be able to seek Jesus. Big tree, little branches. It makes me wonder about how are you lowering the entryway for people to be able to see Jesus? How are you making it easy for people to be able to see Jesus in your own life? How are we corporately making it easy for people to experience and to encounter Jesus? Because if there's something about the way that we communicate, we need to change the way that we communicate. We need to lower the entryway for people to be able to experience and encounter Jesus. Is it something about our services? Is it something about the lights? Is it something about the music? Is there something that is making it difficult for people to seek Jesus? Is it something about the friendship circles that we have? Is it something about your seat assignment? Is it something about the preferences that you have that's making it difficult for people to seek Jesus? Lower it. Lower it. It is our job as Christians to lower the entryway for people to be able to experience and encounter Jesus. Not to make it difficult for people to experience Jesus. 
He needed a big tree with low branches. That's why we exist, is to lower the entryway for people to be able to experience Jesus. So if someone comes in and they look like they have everything together, point them to Jesus. If someone comes in and they clearly don't have it all together, point them to Jesus. If someone's living in sin when they come in, point them to Jesus. You don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing on the inside of somebody. Point them to Jesus. It was in the middle of when Zacchaeus was still doing all of his shady business that Jesus looked in his direction. And doesn't say this in the Bible, so this is just how my brain works. But I believe that Jesus met Zacchaeus sometime before this moment. When you read in the calling of Matthew, you know, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the disciples of Jesus, when you read in that calling of when Jesus reached out for him, he was also a tax collector. And when Jesus reached him, he said, I want to come into your house. And Matthew is exuberant at this opportunity. He's ecstatic at this offer from Jesus to come into his house. And so he wants to go and get his family, but his family doesn't want nothing to do with him. He can't invite his family to come into his house. And so he wants to go and get some friends, but he doesn't have any friends. He can't invite any friends into his house to come and be present with Jesus. And so the scriptures say that he goes and gets other tax collectors, and the house is filled with other tax collectors. What we know about Zacchaeus is that he wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector, which means that he would have been Matthew's boss at the time. He was in charge of all the tax collectors. And I believe that as Zacchaeus is sitting there in Matthew's house, seeing the way that Jesus is looking at Matthew, seeing the way that Jesus is speaking to Matthew, something begins to stir on the inside of him. I've never seen a love like this before. I didn't know that it would be possible for a savior to look in my direction. I've never seen someone love a sinner like this before. And if Jesus can do it for Matthew, I wonder if he can do it for me. The reason that I believe that Zacchaeus would have met Jesus before this moment that we read about in Luke chapter 19 is because when Jesus is walking through Jericho, it says that he arrives at the spot and looks up and he calls Zacchaeus by name. He says, Zacchaeus, come on down out of that tree. He calls him by name. He knows him. Zacchaeus had climbed into that tree to seek after Jesus, but it was Jesus who was seeking after him. It, this is the kind of savior that we have that, that Jesus is being pressed on all sides. There is a crowd that has surrounded him. There's people that are shouting. There's, there's confusion all over the place. But it says that when he arrives at the spot, precisely at the location, like he was looking 
for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus thought that he was looking for him, but it was the other way around, that Jesus was seeking to save the lost. And something happens in that moment when Jesus says Zacchaeus. Something breaks off him in that moment. Because Zacchaeus means pure. Zacchaeus means clean. And I'm sure that it's been a long time that Zacchaeus has been called all kinds of names, that people have all kinds of feelings about Zacchaeus. And Jesus doesn't preach a sermon to him. Jesus just looks in his direction and calls him by name. And in that moment, when he calls him Zacchaeus, he is saying, you are forgiven. You are now clean. You are now pure. You are now blessed. I see you. And he does in that moment what God has been doing throughout the entirety of Scripture, that he calls people by name. Scripture is filled with time and time again that God calls people by name. And he's calling you by name today as well. Anita, he's calling you. Jason, he's calling you. Nate, he's calling you. Terry, he's calling you. He's calling you by name. He knows you. Isn't it great that we serve a God that does not call you by the worst thing that you've ever done, but that God that calls you by name? He knows your name. He knows your name. He knows your name, and He calls you by name, and He's calling you home today.